Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 53. I believe it's page 729 in your pew Bibles. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and yet we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and as for his generation was considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, as he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he, pour, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. When they found not his body, they came had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said but him they saw not. O oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent.
Father, we offer thanks for thy bounties. Amen. Amen. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? We must return to Jerusalem this very hour. All right. Second grade and below, if you'd like to go to Children's Church, Now's the time to do that, second grade or below. <clears throat> they will hear the word of God back there and also the gospel, just like we will out here in the sanctuary. All right. Amen. <clears throat> I enjoyed today so far. I'm going to push this down right here. Uh, had a great Sunday school. I hope uh, if you're not involved in small group, I pray that you do that. It's really hard to be connected as a church and not be tied in with a small group. Uh, if you're not doing that, I would encourage you to do that. Love the music today. I, on that first song, I almost thought we were filming a Gaither vocal video. <laughs> I could to see them come out, you know. But man, love the music. I love the music that we sing here. It's truth and uh, such a, uh, it's so refreshing in the world. But uh, I want to thank Shane for allowing me to, uh, preach to preach today. My girls asked me this morning, they said, are you nervous? I said, well, I'm not, I wouldn't call it nervous. It's, it's almost like when you're, if you've been married, you know, there's an anticipation of that marriage of course, when the marriage is over, there's this big, whew, so I'm kind of like that, but I'm fired up. And uh, Shane asked me a few weeks ago what I preached because they were going to be gone. We need to be praying for them. And uh, I said, I will definitely do that. And he said, well, I'll let you know where I'm at in the scripture and you can kind of pick up where there. I said, okay, okay. I said, but can I teach another scripture? Because I was in Luke at the time. I said, this is really doing a work on my heart. And uh, he, he so graciously, graciously allowed me to do that. So before we get into the scripture, we're going to be in Luke 24, 13 through 34. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. We'll talk for a few minutes before we actually get there. In the Old Testament, what you're going to see, uh, you're going to see, and sounds, see if this sounds familiar, you're going to see types, shadows, and you're going to see prophecy. As a matter of fact, the men's Bible study that we did several weeks ago, they looked in depth of types and shadows of Christ in the Old Testament. Basically, what that is, is pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, foreshadows of Christ in the Old Testament. And how I can explain it, if you, I was up pretty early this morning, but if you get out real early and and the sun's about to come up, and if you stand on the edge of your yard or standing on the edge of your field, you'll notice that your shadow will be projected all the way across the yard. It'll be just this, this dark blob. Now, over the years, my shadow has expanded a little bit. So, yes, I have gained a little weight. So I have a big shadow, right? It was small, but it's a big shadow. But there's no definition to the shadow. 
You just can't tell what it is. You know it's there, but you don't know what it is. As the sun comes up, what begins to happen, you, the shadow will start to get some definition. You'll start to see hands and ears and, 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 and the shape of your body. About 45 degrees, you will see, oh, that really looks like me. And then at 12 o'clock, the shadow disappears. And that's what happens in the Old Testament. We see these types, we see these shadows, and when Christ arrives on the scene, we have no longer a need for a shadow because he is here. Reading uh, John one twenty John one twenty nine, it says, The next that's John the Baptist, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. You go down to verse 34, it says, And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So when, so when Christ, Christ comes, the shadows have been fulfilled. You know, we don't, I know that uh, Rod, I've known Rodney Moody for a long time. Some, some of you know Rodney. I like to talk about Rodney a lot. He's a, he's a He's an easy person to talk about. And uh, some of you know him, some of you don't. So if I had a picture and I walked around and said, look, this is Rodney Moody. This is my friend. And God actually used him about 30 years ago, lead me to Christ. And you might say, well, Phil, isn't, isn't that Rodney over there? Yeah, so why are you still looking at the picture? So when Christ arrives, there's no need to keep looking at the picture, Right? Jews, many Jews, if not most today, what are they waiting on? They're waiting on Christ. They need to believe what we're going to talk about today. So we see uh, types and shadows, but we also see prophecy, and that's a big deal. Over 300 prophecies, in the, plus prophecies, fulfilled in the Old Testament about Christ. Now, I think, at least for me, as I've been studying uh, for several years now, pretty hot and heavy, as I read and study these prophecies that are being fulfilled, it increases my faith. It's actually mind-blowing. And when I was thinking about the title of the sermon, I said, well, I can go a couple of different angles. I thought about naming it Against All Odds or What Are the Odds? Because over 300 detailed prophecies to be fulfilled in one person is all, well, I'm just going to say it. It's impossible. It's impossible. This past week, uh, the odds are not in his favor, by the way, for that to happen. This past week, we went to the beach and uh, we were there for several days, got to swim in the ocean. It was very, very nice. But Guess what? The Ramsey family beat the odds. What are you talking about? We didn't get eaten by a shark. We, didn't, we beat the odds. One in, was it? One in 11.5 million chance of you getting bitten and eaten by a shark. We beat the odds, praise the Lord, right? Uh, what about, be, uh, what about a, a, being in a plane crash? A lot of you are scared of flying. The odds are one in 12 million. Now the odds are getting a little different here. What about the odds of being a victim of a serious crime? Gets different. One in 20. What are the odds of being audited by the IRS? Hey, I beat those odds a couple of times. <laughs> it is one in 175. 
Did you know that God actually predicts over and over that he will defy the odds? God is so sure about what he does that he will announce what he's going to do way in advance, detail upon detail upon detail. And it's literally impossible as, you, as, we, as we walk through this for this to be fulfilled in one man. But uh, I was thinking about Christ reading uh, yesterday in the upper room. He even, Jesus talked about, he fulfilled prophecy and it increases your faith. In the Lord's Supper, not the Lord, the Passover, the last Passover, Jesus actually prophesies. He says, do you remember that? He made some predictions. He says, I'm going to die. Someone among you will betray me. And Peter, you're going to deny me. And then he says, now I've told you before it comes so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. So anybody can make a prediction. But when you, when, when you say something and you, you add layer over layer over layer over detail over detail, the odds get greater and greater and greater. The mathematical possibilities are out the roof, out the roof. In the Old Testament, Moses and the, and the prophets, they prophesied, they predicted that in the future, God will enter human history in time and in space. They predicted that he would enter in time and in space. He would be the fulfillment of the Messiah. He would be Emmanuel, God with us. He will be man in human flesh. He would be the fulfillment of the, pro uh, the prophecies. Let me just give you a few of them. Uh, I'm going to hit them real quick. I'm just going to read them real quick. Here's 16. Of, of some of the prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. He would be born of a virgin. Anybody in here been born of a virgin? Mm -mm. So we're already out the gate. Pretty, pretty, the odds are pretty bad. Two, he would be born in Bethlehem, says Micah 2. He would be born the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. His ministry will begin in Galilee, Isaiah 9.1. He would work miracles, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, 12. He would be wounded and bruised, Isaiah 53, 5. His hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22, 16. He would be crucified with thieves, Isaiah 53, 12. His garments would be torn and lots cast for them, Psalms 22, 18. His bones would not be broken, Psalms 34, 20. His side would be pierced, Zechariah 12, 10. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53, 9. He would rise from the dead, Psalm 16, 10. What is the likelihood of of just those, now, like I said before, there's over 300. What is the likelihood of, of those prophecies being fulfilled in one person? Just to get your mind going, I brought a silver dollar. I, I called uh, my father-in-law yesterday because I didn't have a silver dollar. This thing's worth more than a dollar, by the way, right? I wasn't going to give us away, but I was like, well, oh, it costs too much money. <laughs> Maybe it's another sermon there, but this ain't it, so I'm going to keep the dollar. <laughs> but, but. Think about this. 
Let's just think about eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in Christ. Remember, there's over 300 plus in Christ. This is a common illustration. It's a good one, and it's mathematically correct. If you take this silver dollar and you take the state of Texas, which is a very, very large state, if you uh, uh, put silver dollars two feet deep throughout the whole state, then you put a mark on the silver dollar. Put the silver dollar anywhere in the entire state. Then put a blindfold on Chris McWilliams and say, Chris, hey, get on an airplane. You can fly, jump out, blindfolded, land wherever you want to land, walk wherever you want to go. And whenever you just feel led, reach down and just pick it up. And if he picks up the one that was placed in, in the whole state of te Texas, that is the same odds that, that uh, eight predictions are fulfilled in Christ. And they just go up from there. For you mathematicians, that's one in 10 to the 17th power. So the odds are not, uh, are outrageous. It's outrageous. John 5, 39 says, this is when Jesus was talking to the uh, because Jesus is about, he's all in the Old Testament. He's in the law. He's in the prophets. He's in, he's in the Psalms. The whole book is about Christ. And he was talking to the Pharisees in John 5, 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. The whole book, the whole book points to Christ. First Peter 1, 10 Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the, the grace that was to be yours searched, inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the, the subsequent glories. So the prophets, they were like archers. Isaiah, he shoots his prophecy. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, they prophesy. They shoot the arrow over the horizon. They didn't know exactly when and where it would land. But here's the deal. Where are you going with, going with this? What's this have to do with the scripture? All 300 plus arrows landed on Christ. Every arrow landed on Christ. And these two on the road to Emmaus, they needed to know that. He fulfilled prophecy. They should know that. So, as we walk through these scriptures, this is the first point you need to know, okay? Only those who, who understand scripture can know the truth about salvation and be saved from hell. Only those who understand scripture can know the truth about salvation and be saved from hell. Therefore, here's your point, write this down. Therefore, the greatest service that can ever be rendered to anyone is to explain to them the meaning of Scripture. Explain to them. And we're going to hit that again in a minute. We're going to see what Christ did also. So you have these two, two individuals on the road. They're about to enter the greatest classroom ever. Okay? They had a lack of understanding of the Scriptures. That's why they couldn't deal with the death of Christ. They had no place in their theology for a death of a Messiah. And therefore, 
They had no place in their theology for a resurrection. It's not that they rejected the scripture. It's not because they never read the scripture. They went to synagogue. They heard the scripture read. It's not because they didn't believe it. It's simply because they had a partial understanding of Scripture. And let me tell you something. When it comes to Christ, a partial understanding of Scripture on who Christ is is not enough. They needed to know. They needed to know. As a matter of fact, as as I was thinking about this, you you can be doctrinally correct, theologically correct, and simply miss Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Salvation by grace through faith. You can believe the whole book, every bit of it, but if you miss that, guess what? You will go to hell with your theology intact. You have to get it right. So they had a partial understanding. They needed more understanding. So now let's get to the scripture it's Sunday afternoon. It's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Uh, Jesus was crucified three days ago. We know it's Sunday afternoon because as we go through verse 29, we'll see they urged him to stay with them because it was getting, getting late. So by the end of their conversation, uh, it's already right at nighttime. So let's look at the scripture. Luke 24, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, just notice here, Luke gives a detailed account of of these two on the road. This isn't the first appearance of Christ. There there was, uh, what, Mary. It was the women. Also, Peter, he, he came to them also. But Luke gives us a detailed account. So who is them? Who is them? Well, we don't have to go very far. If you read in verse 9, it says, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and here's the deal, and to all the rest. Okay, so, so the women, can't, they come running back to where the eleven was, the apostles, the, the, the original, minus Judas. And who are the two? They're in the group with all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and and Joanna and the mother of James and the other women with him who told these things to the the apostles. But these words seemed an idle tale. And guess what? They did not believe the women. They didn't do it. They They had been there. They had experienced. They had conversations with angels. They come back. And the two on the road plus the others did not believe what the women said. On this road, they're distraught, they're upset, they're devastated, and they're confused. You know what? They were Jesus followers. They bought in to Jesus. They were following Christ. Verse 14. And they were walking with each other, uh, and they were... I'm sorry, talking, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So they're on the road, they're talking. What what are they talking about? Well, it's the last week of Christ's life. What happened? Remember on Monday, the Jesus triumphal entry 
into Jerusalem. Massive crowds hailed him as the Messiah. Here he comes, son of David, the Messiah. Hosanna, save us, save us. That's what they did. Hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, lined the streets of Jerusalem. That happened Monday. Tuesday, he went to the temple. Guess what? Fulfilled prophecy. He went to the temple. Okay? He disrupted the religious leaders, their lucrative, corrupt financial operations, by again attacking the temple operations. Israel, their leadership, have now come corrupt. Wednesday and Thursday, he taught the people. He discredited the religious leaders. You remember? They were always trying to trick Christ. All the crowds were looking and they're, and they're walking up to Christ and they're trying to trip him over his words. They're trying to discredit him with, in front of the people. And then came the shock of his arrest. He was arrested. He was uh, taken into fake court, actually many, many trials that, that night. They accused him of crimes that he did not commit. They beat him. They crucified him. And they buried him. And the one that these two people on the road put their trust in is now dead. He's executed. They were devastated. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. They were talking and discussing, just back and forth. If you look at the original language, uh, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, a ping pong, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They had just lived through this traumatic event of their Messiah and prophet was, was crucified on the cross, and they were discussing this. It just didn't make any sense. I know personally I can relate to that. I bet you can too. Many times in my life, and I know several, or well, two in particular, of getting a phone call one day, and on the phone call the person said, they're gone. They're dead. And then, they, and then they explained to me what happened. And I said, I don't believe it. It can't be true. It cannot be true. And I know you've been there too. This is the state that they were in. They could not believe what had just happened. They were walking, then Jesus draws near. And I want you to notice something. This is pretty cool. He's not dazzling like an angel. He's not blazing. They didn't, when Jesus came out, they didn't fall on their, uh, their face like uh, in a coma like they did, uh, like the guards did. They're not in shock. There was something really human about him. You know why? Because he was. He was. He was in his post-resurrected body. There was nothing about his appearance that would draw any special attention and you just think about it, when Mary, when she went to the tomb, what did she think about? Who's this guy over here? Oh, he must be the gardener. It was Christ. And so as you look at these, these uh, after the, the, uh, the resurrection, people recognized Christ when he made himself known to them. It's pretty neat. So it was nothing really, it was nothing that drew attention. Yes, he could walk through a wall. He could do that. He could zip from this galaxy to that galaxy. He could be here on earth and zoom to the throne wheel, throne room with the Father. And yes, he could eat food. I know you're all probably excited about that. So you're really getting a glimpse. Check this out. You're getting a glimpse 
of what your body's going to be like. We will be just like Christ. I can't wait. I can't wait. Most of y'all are excited about the food. Y'all could care less about zooming around, right? But anyway. So, uh, verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Interesting. The verb were kept. I don't know what your translations say. Some translations say prevented. It's in the passive voice. Passive voice. What does that mean? It wasn't of their own doing. Christ, guess what he did? He walks out. He keeps them from seeing who he is. And he is the, the reason that they can't see. They were kept or prevented from seeing him. Now, why would Christ do that? If, you know, if Phil, if Phil was there and these two are walking down the road, basically what I would do, it'd be a lot quicker than this seven-mile journey of explaining the Scripture. I would just jump out and say, look, here I am. It's Jesus. And then they would rejoice. Or even better than that, if I was Jesus, I would go to the tomb. I mean, not the tomb, but I would go over to the temple where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the scribes who try to discredit my, my ministry, and I'd walk up and I would say, here I am. I told you I was going to rise from the dead. I told you. But he didn't do that. And there's a reason he didn't. And it's beautiful. And you're going to see why I can't get over this text. It's awesome. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Okay. Just a point of application in the sermon here. A good teacher always asks questions. Jesus was the best teacher. He's asking questions. Does he know what happened? Yeah. He was on the cross. He witnessed, he, he, he was with the whole week was about, did, was he trying to gather information from something that he did not know? So a good teacher asked questions. And uh, I was at the, uh, the beach this week. And when you go to the beach, right, here's what you do. After you check in, y'all want somebody to answer. You go, you check in, you get everything, your clothes undone, put in the thing. The first thing you do would be what? You've been to the beach, haven't you? <laughs> so you go to the grocery store and you spend $7,800 on groceries for that week. We were ringing up. I'm like, my goodness, we could eat steak every night for what we, we did for that. But we're kind of a turkey sandwich kind of family. You know, that's what we eat, a lot of turkey. And uh, we might eat a little ham. So Cindy, you know, she gets this turkey and I'm, I'm walking behind her and she's pushing the cart. And I look, there's some bologna right there. I love bologna. I mean, love it. I said, I'm going to get some of that bologna. So I'll go over here and get some of that bologna. And uh, so <clears throat> about day two, I'll come in off the beach, tired. I eat a sandwich. I kind of get on the couch. And then Cindy comes up later. And uh, she's over there eating. And she says something. She says something. My wife is a great teacher, okay? She's not as good as Jesus. But she is a good teacher. You know what she did? She looked at me with those big, beautiful blue eyes. And she said, whose is this? <laughs> whose is this? 
who put this there? I said, I don't know. I guess a rat came in and got some baloney. No, she knew. She knew. She wasn't asking to find out who eats baloney because I'm the one that eats the baloney. She was needing me to articulate to her my dilemma. So good teachers always ask questions. Remember that. In your encounters with people, that's what I do when I speak with people and I engage. I'm on a constant, before I bring in the gospel and the truth, I want to know where they stand. And so I'm always asking questions. Now, I don't know about them. Jesus does, I don't, but it's something good to do. I always ask questions. All right, so that's what he did. He asked questions. Verse 18. Then one of them, let me see the time, we're good. Then one of them, Cleophas, answered, Are you the only visitor, are you the only visitor uh, to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Notice what he said. First of all, we see, we get who the first person is. Cleopas. Who is that? We don't know. We don't really know. We just know his name. We do see his name in, in, in John because when Christ was crucified and there was Mary and Mary's sister, Cleopas' wife. Is that, is that the right? It could be. I'm going to say very good well it could be him. This is who, who we see. We have a name. He answered him. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Does that know the things that have happened? Are you the only one? So, so they're walking away, Jesus walking with them, and, and to put it in today's uh, vernacular, have you not been on Facebook today? Have you not checked your Twitter account? Have you not seen everybody's Instagram story of what happened that, that day when they crucified Christ? Where have you been? Where have you been? I'm going to tell you something, folks. When Christ comes into Jerusalem, I don't think we understand. He did not enter a, a side street in Jerusalem and there was 30 or 40 people and he's riding a donkey. It was untold hundreds and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions as he comes in and they ended up killing him. I mean, it's like, and you think about 9-11, everybody knew about 9-11. The same thing, you know, have you not heard what happened in New York that day? Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, who was past tense, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. I love it. Jesus keeps asking questions. But they said he was a was a prophet. What does a prophet do, man? He spoke for God. They believed that. They believed that Christ spoke for God. Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Their hopes were high, but their prophet was dead. They were right to believe he was a prophet. He is a prophet. He's so much more than just that, though. It says he was mighty indeed. If you read the whole book of Luke, Luke's record, what do you see? Healing after healing after healing. If you put in Mark, Luke, and John, it all adds up. His whole life was giving sight to the blind, healing deaf people, giving a voice to the mute feeding multitudes. He was mighty indeed. There was no denying that. He was also mighty in word. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? We've been through that. 
Matthew 7, 28, and when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. Mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Did they know, did those two people on the road know, know this, that in Luke it says, God speaks from heaven at the baptism. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Did they know about the transfiguration where, where, where God says from heaven, from the cloud, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I'm sure they knew that. And it says all the people. Let me tell you something, y'all. Most people had a very good view of Christ. They, had a, they saw him as a great man. They saw him as a great prophet. He was very powerful. There was no other way to see him. You could not deny what he did. He literally got rid of all diseases in Israel. You couldn't deny the fact. The Pharisees, the scribes, they couldn't deny Christ. I mean, I think about Lazarus who was dead. Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead and he's walking down the street to Jerusalem and the scribes and Pharisees are over here and they're looking and they see Lazarus come by. We were just at his funeral and he's walking. They couldn't deny it. We got to kill Lazarus and we got to kill him too. He's a threat to what we're trying to do. You could not deny what he did. So the populist view was people and the masses, they love Christ. But some didn't, those religious leaders. Verse 20, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Notice what these two people did. Even though Christ stood before a Roman court, he was crucified by Roman soldiers, they laid, they laid the blame and the death of Christ on who? Squarely on the religious leaders. Matthew 7, 20. Well, and I, when I was reading that, you said, well, I've watched the Passion of the Christ. I've seen the big crowd scene. I've seen everybody say, crucify him, crucify him. That's what the people were saying. Why were they doing that? Matthew 7, 20. Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So they were manipulated by those uh, religious leaders. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they, when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were there went to the tomb and found just as the women had said, but they, they did not see them. So they had hopes of redemption, but they, their definition of redemption was skewed. They wanted to, a political redemption. They were under Roman rule. They want to be redeemed from that. Not a spiritual redemption, but a, someone who would set them free. They should have known that to redeem something, there's got to be a payment. The whole sacrificial system pointed to that. They should know that. Hey, they just left Passover, but they had no theology for that. They had no room for a Messiah that would die. 
Verse 24. Some of those who some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see them. Those were uh, Peter and John. You remember that? They actually confirmed what the girls said. They should have believed that. I mean, they were, they were right on that. Why couldn't they be right on the rest? They should have believed that. They were just like doubting Thomas. I got to see them. It's the third day. Yeah, we do know that he said he would rise in three days. I don't know what all that means. But it's already the end of the third day. Where is he at? He's nowhere to be found. If he was, if he did rise, he would be here. And everybody would see him. And then Jesus said in verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They needed more information. They needed to know that Jesus rose. This wasn't plan B. This is plan A. They needed to know that he was alive. And then the good teacher does what a good teacher will do. He rebukes them. He rebukes them. Oh, foolish men, slow of heart and all that the prophets have spoken. Notice the word all. All that the prophets have spoken. It wasn't that they didn't believe Scripture. It wasn't that they didn't believe the part of the Scripture they didn't know. They needed to know it all. They had selective information. They didn't reject the word, the word of God, right? They just needed to know more. They had the scripture they should know. Words of Paul says, study to show themselves approved of God, rightly dividing the word. They, had, they hadn't really taken it all in. They had partial, limited understanding of scripture, which, which can be dangerous, Write this down. If you have the scriptures, hear me out. This is huge. If you have the scriptures, you are accountable to know what they teach. If you have the scriptures, and they had them. Now, they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And they were accountable to know the scripture. Think about us. We got it all, right? They were right on the money in what they believed. They, Jesus is a redeemer. He is a king. He is a ruler. But they just didn't get the part or accept the part that he must suffer and die. So they neglected all. How do they do that? I don't know. You know, I don't think Isaiah 53 is big on the reading list today in Jewish synagogues. But they neglect scripture. They look over the part that he must suffer and he die. All right. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What did he say? We don't know. So he's walking on the road. He real, he, he, they, they have articulated their issue. He begins to teach. What did he say? We don't know, but we have a good guess. He might have stated in Genesis 3.15, he might have told him, do you not know that Christ was the wounded seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head? He might have said in Genesis 3, he was the true and only covering for the sinner's guilt pictured in the covering of the skins provided by God at the price 
of the death of an innocent substitute. You remember that? In the Garden of Eden, what gives them those, those foreshadowing of the death of an animal? I'm sure he covered that. He probably went Genesis 6 through 8 and recounted the history of the flood as Peter does. I am the true ark of safety into which sinners enter and sail through the waters of divine judgment. Surely he went to Genesis uh, 8, 22 through 22. He was the sacrifice offered after the judgment against the world. That's a picture of Christ's sacrifice. And I just know, man, he went to uh, uh, <clears throat> the account with Abraham and Isaac. Let me just read one verse and paraphrase it. God done, God's given a promise. Through Isaac, your seed shall come, right? But God tells I, uh, Abraham something, some, some, some pretty big news. He said, take your son, Abraham, your only son. Now, Abraham had more than one kid, but listen to the words. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Mount Moriah and offer him. There is a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which, which I should tell you. So Abraham takes his son, his only son. He places the wood on his back. And there's a three-day journey from when God told him that to of when they arrived to the mountain. So, so Isaac is carrying the wood on the back. And then he says to his daddy, Abraham, Daddy, we have the wood. We have the fire. But where is the sacrifice? Daddy, where is the sacrifice? And God says, God will, now get this, provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And so they carry that sacrifice up there. And, and, and uh, Isaac, he's, he's 15 plus years old. I mean, he's, if he wanted to take Abraham down physically, he probably couldn't. He probably could, but he didn't. And so Abraham lays Isaac on the altar, binds him up on the altar, grabs the knife, pulls the knife back, and then he hears a voice from the angel of the Lord. Abraham! Abraham, don't harm the boy. And he raises up and he sees a ram caught in a thicket. That day, that ram died in the place of Isaac, who is a sinner, just like you and I. 2,000 years later, God has a son, his one and only son. The son that he loves. Christ, the wood placed on his back. He marches up the hill, very most likely the same hill that Isaac was on. And he marches up the hill. He's nailed to a cross. But this time, God did not provide a, a ram in a thicket. That day, Christ died. He was the lamb, the spotless lamb. Surely he spent some time in 122, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Also in 22, he will be at reproach. He will be sneered at. His bones will be out of joint. His strength will be gone. His hands and feet will be pierced. His clothes will be divided up by lots as he dies. 
Maybe Isaiah 50, verse 6. I am the one who gave, gave his back to the smiters. His cheeks are those who, who he plucked out his beard and covered his face with spit. Zechariah 12, 10, and reminded them, one day Israel will look on him who they have pierced. And then, of course, the text, man, the big one that Jeff wrote, uh, uh, said today, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 8 says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. You see, guys, he's got to die. Isaiah said it. Verse 10, I like this. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. What does that mean? He will see his offspring. You can't do that in a tomb. Verse 11, it says, He'll make many to be counted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. And the last part of, of verse 12, it says, He makes intercession for the transgressors. You can't intercede while you're in the tomb, by the way. Verse 28, so they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly and saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the end of the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went with him, went with them to stay with him. They urged him to stay. That really, in the original language, look, man, they, they grabbed the hold to him. They used force. Stay with us. It wasn't an act of hospitality. Jesus was headed somewhere. They knew that. He had a place to go. But they wanted to know more. Verse 30, when he was at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to them. That's pretty neat. You come to my house today, uh, you're not going to be making my meal. You're not going to be saying the blessing. I'm going to serve you. That's not what Christ did. He goes to their house, and he serves them. He breaks the bread, right? I can only imagine this in Scripture at all, but I would say they were so excited, and everything that the Everything that they were learning that uh, they couldn't eat. I've been there and done that for sure. It says, uh, <clears throat> in closing, get close here, it says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Again, passive verb. Just like his eyes were shut when they got there, he was the cause of them, their eyes being open. So how did he do it? How did that play out? Did they see the nail marks in his hand as he grabbed the bread? And then they see the hand. Is it the way he prayed? He always started the prayer the same. My father. Remember, they've been with Christ. They've been walking with Christ. How did it do it? But I love this. This is my verse right here. This is my verse. This is why I preach this today. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us, the scripture. Question, when did their hearts set ablaze? When did their hearts burn within? Was it when, when, when they were sitting there and all of a sudden Jesus says, you know, he, he's there, they see him for who he is and he disappears? It wasn't then. When did they get on fire for God? They got on fire when, they, when Jesus was speaking to them. They didn't even know who he was. Their hearts were on fire when they understood the Scripture. When Christ was putting the puzzle pieces together, you know, talking about the text of suffering, 
the glory text that they believe, the suffering text, he puts that together and then their hearts get on fire when they understood the scripture. And I think what Christ was doing is modeling us, modeling to us that scripture over experience Scripture over experience. The word is truth. That's what John 17 says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so can, uh, I'm going to read the last verse. It says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then he told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them by the breaking of bread. And so what did they do? They got up and they ran seven miles back. They had to tell somebody. And I can assure you that at that point in that time, they were the two most knowledgeable people in the world about the Scripture. About the Scripture. So what is the application for us? What is the application here in closing? For the believer, those who have been born again, born twice, those who have, uh, have uh, <clears throat> repented of their sins, who have trusted Christ, the evidence that this transaction of a new birth has happened and they're, they're following him, what is the application? Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Look, we have the Scripture. We have the Scripture. Don't neglect parts of the Bible. I've been in sermons before years ago, praise the Lord, not here, that the pastor would read, hey, let's look at verse 1 and 2 and then skip down and read 6 through 8. I'm like, what's up with that? And I go back and I look at those verses. I'm like, that's why he don't neglect the Scripture. He didn't believe what it said. Stick to it. Believe it. Don't just focus on the good stuff. Everybody knows John 3.16. I don't care if you're saved or lost. You can quote that. My question is, can you quote Psalm 5, 5 and 6? This is the Lord. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Theo, are you telling me that God hates sinners? I didn't say that. He said it. Don't neglect the scripture. And when you put these puzzle pieces together, how God can love and also hate at the same time because he's a holy, righteous good, guess what? Your heart gets on fire. Your heart gets on fire. Years ago, somebody sat down with me and taught me the scripture. This is how you study. This is what it says. This is how you study. Now check it out. And then for years, I just couldn't sleep at night. The word over and over in my mind. All right. One more thing. The best thing you can do as a believer, explain scripture to somebody else. Uh, application for those who, are, who have not uh, confessed Christ, repented and following him. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. We talked about all those prophecies being fulfilled. There's uh, several yet to be fulfilled. And uh, if he was right on 300 plus, he's going to be right on this next one too. I am coming back to get my people. Who are his people? Those who trust Christ. Those who believe on him. And the evidence they do, they follow Christ. He came. 
He lived. He fulfilled scripture. He was hung on a cross. He, was di- he died. They buried him. He rose from the grave. He's alive. He's alive. Believe that. Trust that. Trust that. Confess that. And follow Christ. If you hadn't done that, look, today is the day. I, I believe it, Phil. I believe every bit of it. I believe the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. I got it. I believe it. And I'm good with it. Well, if you believe all of that, you have something in common with one more person. His name is Satan. He believes that too. So what separates you from what Satan believes? There's a difference. Do you follow Christ? Have you trusted him? And do you follow him? If you haven't, do that today. I'll be, like what Shane says, I'll be the last one to leave. I'll be back here somewhere. Come see me or see, see, see one of the brothers or sisters that are here. And um, you're not promised tomorrow. You're just not. If you stand before the Lord today, you cannot say, I didn't know. But I, I heard what Phil said. But, 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 and it's too late. It's too late. Today is the only day. This breath is the only breath that you have if you have not trusted Christ. So do that today, okay? I'll be in the back here. Chris, I had a great week, man. I love this scripture. I pray that study, study this more. We, was like, we just scratched the surface. And uh, let's keep praying for Shane and those. And I know they've been preparing, preparing to share the gospel with folks. That's a good thing. So Chris, a close out in prayer. And... Uh, We'll see y'all next week. Y'all pray with me. Father God, I just want to thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for uh, providing field, to open the scriptures up to us, Lord. I pray that if there is anyone here, Lord, who, uh, like uh, Cleopas on, on the road to Emmaus, whose eyes were open today, Lord, I pray that you not let that person rest, Lord, until uh, they get it right with you, Lord, and that uh, they believe on you, Lord. I just pray for all the fathers today, Lord, just uh, uh, give them grace, Lord, give them discernment to be uh, godly fathers, Lord, that we may lead our families. All this I ask in your name.